Hi, this is Remus Tucker, and you're listening to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. Damn right. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 30 of the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show with Joe and Nick. Tonight's guest is Phil Verone, drummer from the band Saigon Kick, Skid Row. I think he also played with Vince Neil. Who else? Oh, most recently, Red Dragon Cartel. Jake Elite. Lee. Yeah, Jake Elite's Red Dragon Cartel. So he's going to be our guest tonight. Um, he's been in music for a long time and has retired, I believe, a couple of times from music, so... Hopefully we can talk about that a little bit with him. I mean, he's been, man, he's, he wears many hats. He wrote yeah, a book. He's a comedian, actor. Comedian. He's been in adult films. <laughs> Jeez, everything. Yeah, he gets around. So it should be a fun conversation with Phil. I'm really excited to talk to Phil. Yeah. Uh, he, he's been one of my favorite drummers for a long time. So uh, Yeah, I love Saigon Kick. They were a good band. Yeah, they also got into that. Came out at the wrong time. Yeah, they were like in, in between the transition. So you didn't know where they fell. Were they part of the hair group or were they part of the new grunge group? But but they were a heavy band, but they were they were melodic too. That's what I liked about them. Yeah, very good band, Saigon Kick. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for listening to the show. Um, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. That's where you'll get all your updates of what's happening for the show. And visit our website at rnrcoffeeshow.com when you get a chance. Let's call Phil. Let's give him a ring. Hello. Phil. Hey. What's going on, buddy? It's Joe and Nick with the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. How's it going, Phil? Just chilling. Living the dream. Living the dream. Doing well. Doing well. Where are you at now? Uh, Las Vegas. Vegas. Okay. How long have you been out there? Jeez, I'm going on probably 10 years now, nine years, roughly. Wow. Okay. Came over from, uh, from Los Angeles. Um, back in, I moved to LA in uh, 2005. Yeah. And I got here in 2011. So, okay. Nine years. Mm-hmm. Why, why'd you move to Vegas? Well, I was in LA and, um, you know, LA is very pricey and really for, you know, a couple hour drive, you can kind of commute. And I, I came initially, I came to Vegas to put a show in one of the rooms. I had a comedy show in LA called the sex stand up and rock and roll show that I had over at the improv. And, um, I decided that, you know, let's see if we could put this in the Vegas show. So I came out here. Uh, I had somebody that was handling it and, uh, kind of dropped the ball. And, uh, but you know, I, I, I liked it out here. So I just stayed. And it just, you know, you can commute back and forth to um, to L.A., uh, whether it's, you know, a southwest, you know, flight that takes, you know, 35 minutes or whatever, or, you know, four-hour drive. So right. it just seemed to be, you know, uh, a logical thing to do, considering that, you know, I had a, a, a like like a closet I lived in in, in uh, L.A. 
in Hollywood and out here, the same thing gets you like a house. Yeah, so man. You know, that, that basically was the, 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 the deciding factor. California is outrageous. Yeah. The prices are ridiculous out there for homes. Yeah. I used to live in um, Bakersfield. You know where that is? Oh, okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah, little farm. Yeah, we broke down there on the last tour, actually. <laughs> in Bakersfield? I'm sorry. Yeah, right right by there. In fact, it was such a bad place that uh, when the when the highway the highway patrol came by, the trooper or whatever, he he goes, um, you guys, uh, you don't want to be here after dark. And we're like, okay. And he goes, we don't even patrol here. That's how bad it is. I was like, well, what is this, the Wild West? Like, yeah. Seriously. Wow. It was crazy. So it was, a, it was a small town. We ended up Googling the town while we were there. And um, it was the highest crime rate in the nation. You know, most murders, most everything. I guess it was like a big drug thing there. You know, um, a lot of it was insane. So yeah, and that was on the last tour. Uh, really? Uh, with, uh, Red Drag when? Up. What? What year was that? We did that tour in nineteen. So last year. And it yeah. was it was Bakersfield. That well, was Bakersfield. <laughs> you so live we there, Joe? <laughs> broke down. We oh. Coming from Reno. Yeah. See, I don't remember that living there. I I lived there a while ago. It's probably 2008, maybe. But oh, okay. maybe it's changed. I don't know. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not there. Yeah, I don't know. It was scary, regardless. Yeah, yeah. You you ever miss uh, South Florida? I mean, you know, my family is there, so I have uh, I have uh, uh, relatives, cousins, and. Uh, and a couple of uh, aunts and uncles and stuff. So I, I miss it for that. You know, I miss, I miss, but, but when I've gone there, it's just like, I mean, it's so hot and it's so humid and it's just, it's I don't nasty. know. I, I never really cared for the place that much. I mean, I grew up there and I went to school there, but it wasn't like, you know, my favorite place on the, on the earth. We were, we, when I uh, was born in New York and my parents moved to Florida when I was just about 13, uh, 1980. And, um, you know, it was cool. It was, but, but I, I really love New York. So like to get pulled out of what, you know, and then yeah. kind of placed, it took me a few years to kind of get used to, um, you know, Florida, but, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's an okay place. I don't, I don't hate it or anything, but I don't ever see me moving back there or anything like that. I, I go there to visit my family and stuff, but, uh, that's about it. Yeah. What, what part of New York are you from? I was born in Long Island. So I lived there uh, till I well, basically every till I till we moved. We just had a, we had a house in Long Island in Center Reach. Was a city. Center Reach, okay. And, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm from Hop. Uh, I'm I come from uh, Hopog, actually. Oh yeah, of course, right next yeah. door. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's so funny over there. There's so many people from Long Island. It's pretty funny. But my, I think my father, my father used to work over at Estee Lauder. He was one of the um, the shipping manager there, and I. Think, I want to say that was in Hopog. Am I wrong on that, or is it? I don't uh, remember exactly. Geez, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I moved here. I moved to Florida when I was eleven, also. So, <laughs> I haven't, oh, I haven't okay. Been, there you go. I, yeah, I haven't, I haven't been back yeah, in a while. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nick and I grew up together in Venice, Florida. Yeah. Yeah. The other side. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. My 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 um my sister lives on that coast. She lives over in uh, Fort Myers yeah. area. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um. That's right. That's where Venice is. Is that on that side? It's yeah, on that that side. yeah, it's it's, yeah, it's a couple it's hours from Fort Myers. Yeah, north of uh, Fort Myers. Yep. But yeah, yeah, so that's funny. Same general area. Yeah. Yeah. So when uh, you were thirteen, when you moved there, and were you already playing drums at that time, or no? Well, the it was a weird thing. 
I mean, I'm putting together my documentary now. We, we talked about it, but the um, uh, and I'm telling this. I'm telling the story in a documentary. Basically, I was in the orchestra in in grade school. And back then, when I was in elementary school, it was um, they had a the music program, and they came around and asked you, you know, asked everybody, every student, if they'd like to participate. And then they would take people out of that, you know, that got that were, you know, showed talent or that really wanted to do it, you know, because, you know, kids, you want to do it and then you realize you have to practice and all that commitment and then, you know, everyone bails. But um, initially I wanted to play trumpet and I, because, you know, my buddy Richie Goodwin, he was a trumpet player and I thought he was the coolest guy on earth. You know, like you think about it, like going back then when you looked up to these guys and um, he played trumpet and I'm like, damn, I got to play trumpet. You know, I'm going to get all the chicks with the trumpet. That's interesting. (laughs) You wanted to play trumpet. (laughs) Yeah, and and what had happened at that time, which is kind of a funny thing, because if if this if that didn't happen, we wouldn't even have this discussion. But I had an ear infection, and I had to get tubes in my ears, and you know, like to drain my ears, or I was going to go deaf. And um, the doctor said, "No, you can't play trumpet." Yeah. And all the pressure of blowing into this horn, you're going to permanently damage your ears. Um, so I couldn't play trumpet, and I told the the um, the music uh, teacher, and he says, well, do you want to play drums? And I was like, well, drums are going to be worse because, you know, the sound. So I asked my doctor, and we just earplugged everything, and I started playing percussion. So I was playing percussion when I left um, New York. I had a drum set. My, In fact, I still own it. Uh, you'll, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually restore it, but I still have the same drum set. I, my, my first one from '77. Wow. My, my, my father bought it for me in 1977 um, from a guy on the block. It was hilarious, but you know, because everything was about the block. So, yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I still own it, and and that was the one thing I, I gave it to my cousin to hold because you know, my, my parents sold everything. We jumped in a car and pulled a trailer, like a little trailer and started over. And, um, it was very bizarre in that respect. Cause we were just kind of, you know, pulled out of our, you know, you know, well, everything we knew, my sister and I. Yeah. So when I got to Florida, I didn't play drums. No, I was, I was, I just kind of gave it up and it wasn't until 10th grade and I was in drafting class and I wanted to be an architect and all that. I had my career was planned. I worked for Westinghouse at the time. I was doing these drawings and they were going to give me, give me a scholarship to learn the CAD system, you know, all this whole thing. And then a, a buddy of mine, Tom Reinhardt came over to me and said, Hey man, I heard you play drums. I was like, well, you know, and I told him, and then he came over to my house and I would have amp and I started hitting pots and pans as cliche as that sounds, but that's how it was. And then now look at, you know, that's it. That was, uh, what? 1980, four ish and uh we fast forward pretty funny if i if i didn't have that ear infection though that would have yeah. been <laughs> this trumpet player thanks to the ear playing trumpet <laughs> yeah that's that's how, that's how that's how close it was it was, it was wow. just that it just happened to get that ear infection so. that's so funny how this yeah. something something like that can just change your whole life and it, and it did, and it's funny when I, when we when Red Dragon Cartel played on the last tour, it's we literally played where I lived, you know, like right there. So like all my family came out, but um, I went to my old neighborhood, and the next door neighbor um, were the Donnellys, you know, my my best friend, you know, Ed Donnelly, and the and the parents, just wonderful people, and the parents were home 
they're still alive, Tom wow. and Pat, and we knocked on the door, my sister and I, and they almost had a heart attack, like they saw a ghost, because we haven't been there. I mean, I haven't been there in 20, 30 years, whatever it was. And we were talking, and Tom, you know, the father said, uh, it's good to see you, uh, that you, you did something with drumming, because, man, you were killing me, the, all the noise <laughs> you used to make over there. And it was, we started laughing, so, because I just, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just hitting stuff and having a good old time. But, uh, but yeah, it's pretty funny how it all worked out. Wow. That's a great story. So you're, yeah. do, you're working on a documentary? Working on uh, 30 Years of Drummer right now, which is right, a right. documentary that's going to... I put out a documentary in 06 uh, called Waking Up Dead. And Waking Up Dead was uh, a documentary that we filmed over three years. And um, the director, Fabio Jaffe, he followed me uh, on, the, on the tours, starting with Kiss when I was in Skid Row. So it started on the Kiss tour, went over to the Tesla tour, then we went to um, the Poison tour. So over the course of three years, he kind of watched, you watch me, my downward spiral from drugs, you know, and, and just everything from divorce, drugs. It, it's pretty sad a documentary in that respect, but it's very raw. I, I think I've probably snorted more, more coke in this documentary than ever, to the point where there was a, a, um, a prosecutor in Florida was, t- was talking about arresting me for doing drugs. And we're like, you can't prove I did drugs. They could be fake, you know, like you can't prove it by watching it. Um, so yeah, it was It was pretty crazy. And, um, so we did that in 06 and this is the kind of the, 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 not so much a sequel, but just basically everything uh, hooked in one. And it's more positive. I'm not, I'm going to touch on drugs in it, but I already did the documentary, but mostly yeah. it's, 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 it's from, the start to till now, present day, and, and the people that I met and, 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 and how they influenced me. And, and I'm going to talk about the music business and all those things. And, you know, I have footage of everything. Uh, luckily, my mother, I used to make fun of my mother because she would take pictures of everything. I'm like, Ma, put the camera away. <laughs> now I'm happy she did. Yeah, yeah now you're glad you have them all, right? Yeah. Yep. I basically have every gig ever that I've done, starting like with crappy bands that I was in. And, um, and one of my first bands, Leeway, we ju- I just talked to them yesterday. We're actually going to record um, an old song that we, a demo that we did. Like we, we found our demos from 84 and 85. And no way. Gonna, oh yeah, we have everything. In fact, it's going on a soundtrack. There's a soundtrack with this, with this documentary on, uh-huh. it's coming through Trident Records. So on the soundtrack, um, it's going to have all the demos because I want to show the, the evolution of my drumming. Because right. when I listen back to this stuff, it's actually pretty interesting because I didn't know what I was doing. So when you don't really know how to play, you play right. stuff. And that, like today, I'm like, I don't know what the hell I just played there. I can't play that. I don't know what I played. <laughs> so it was a really cool journey to listen to all the songs. So I talked to the guys yesterday, and we're going to go in the studio and re-record one of the tracks from back then, like now, like we're all old guys and can play. And then we're going to... Uh, record a new song you know we wrote a new song to put on there so it's going to kind of show the you know 30 years later right and uh it's gonna it's gonna be fun you know it's it's, it's, yeah that'll be cool about yeah it's about it's a positive cool vibe and and just um you know if you love music and you love you know you want to hear a story or two you know this is the documentary because when is it supposed to come out it's gonna be friendly what's that when is it supposed to come out when's the documentary coming out Well, it was supposed to come out today oh that's right but um we ended up postponing because of, you know, obvious, obvious reasons with, um, with uh, COVID and stuff like that. And, and the country's a little an unrest right now. So 
I figured uh, next year will be a good time. And, uh, and, and quite frankly, the label is close. You know, everybody's kind of just getting back into things. So we, yeah. we pushed it back to probably spring of next year. And we're awesome. going to start, um, yeah, in January, we'll start a campaign again. And we, we and in fact, it was funny. I just talked to the label today and they want to get an absolute release date, you know, together. Yeah. And they're going to do a lot of cool things. They're doing final and, um, and um, some limited edition uh, picture disc stuff. And we're going to, you know, because we, we're going to take a, uh, like the 80s was. Yeah. You know, we're going to kind of uh, emulate that again for the people that weren't there in that uh, crazy era. But uh, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it also. I actually have uh, Waking Up Dead. I have that. Mm. Okay, I have... so you saw it then. Yeah, it, and it, it was it, it was pretty uncomfortable, I must say. Just watching yeah, very it. very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's not a date movie in any way. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I, I, I highly recommend you don't see it. No, it's very uncomfortable. In fact, to this day, when uh, they sent me over, I was talking to Fabio because we, before COVID started, we were working a deal with Netflix to put uh, Waking Up Dead because Waking Up Dead is available through Netflix as a rental, like a disc. Okay. But they don't have it on the stream. So we were working a deal to stream it on, on, on Netflix. And then I was going to follow it up with 30 Years a Drummer. Now that all this stuff went down, everything kind of went into limbo. And um, so, but we want to re-release it and we're going to not update it, but give it a, a look over, you know, because, and, and trim the fat and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But, um, but we're definitely going to do it again. We're going to re-release it again. Okay. So, um, yeah. And so, cause, cause basically with that deal, we had a, we had a movie deal uh, with this company and they of course dropped the ball. So like we ended up getting all the rights to everything back. So we own the thing nice. and uh, we we're going to re-release it. Now it, you, you know, you think back, back then it was Oh six when we put it out, you know, they didn't have none of the technology that they have today and the platforms to put this thing out. Mm -hmm. So we can do this ourselves, you know, and, and be able to, you know, uh, offer it to, to people without them going through, you know, spending all this money to try to find it somewhere. Cause that's the only way you can find it. Uh, it's just, you know, it's on eBay or something like that. And mm -hmm. they want like a lot of money for it. So we're going to repackage it and remaster it and then put it out. Okay. Okay. Well, we're going to get, um, into, Oh, before I forget, happy birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday. Appreciate that. <laughs> Finally 21. <Yeah>. 21. <laughs> just made you, can, you can drink now. Nice, nice. I'm gonna drink. I'm gonna go back into the cocaine. The whole thing. <laughs> Doing it all again. All uh, again. Twenty-one. But uh, I'm gonna get into a lot of things with you tonight. But I wanted to um, kind of start with uh, Saigon Kick. You know, how did you yeah. meet up with those guys? Well, we're all from South Florida, and um, initially, I've known Jason, the guitar player. We went to school together and stuff, and I knew Jason first. And Jason and I. We have a funny relationship because, um, you know, he, he kicked me out of more bands. I think it's just his thing. That's like, you know, bitch. <laughs> uh, he just loved it. You just love like firing, you know, you know, when you're 14 and you get fired from a band, <laughs> I always think like that, you know, it's like that. Um, so Jason and I played in a couple of bands. Uh, in fact, that one of the bands is actually in the documentary called Circus. And we have like this crazy, you know, paint. It's like right when Motley came out. So it was like '83 ish, I think. Um, and and you know, we were trying to, you know, be Motley and all that stuff. But that's when I when I started playing with Jason. And I, you know, couldn't stand him from day one. But we were friends and whatever. And I still can't stand him, but I love the guy. You know, it's that kind of thing. 
Yeah, that's uh, how I feel about Nick. About <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? We're yeah, yeah. Joe, Joe and I hate each other. I yeah. hate this guy, but I love him too. Um, so Jason, was about, I, I guess we formed Saigon Kick in 88, uh, October of 88. I remember because I was going to, I was, I turned 20, I really turned 21 then, I think, because I was going to <laughs> rehearsal and I bought a wine cooler or something and I didn't get carded and I was pissed. Because I, you know, I was all ready to pull out the license. <laughs> right. On it, That's know? exciting. And yeah, you, always, pre- you prepare for that moment. <laughs> right. Except that, you know, it failed. So, <laughs> so it was, uh, Jason came over to me. They had a band called Toy Soldier. And this band was a pretty cool band. And that had Matt singing. And it had Tom Defile on bass. The drummer, this guy named Josh. Josh was a, a great drummer. But he ended up going and playing with River Phoenix and his band. So... They just they got rid of, uh, of of Toy Soldier, and at that point, they came to me and uh, Jason's like, you know, do you want to play in the band? I'm like, yeah, well, you gonna fire me again? And I, the only reason why <laughs> I up. think they get, yeah, I, I, that's what I thought, you know. But the only reason why I think I they came to me is because I had a brand new drum set and I had flight cases, so mm-hmm. I was like, it didn't matter how bad I played, I just looked good, right? You know, like right. that was the good thing. Um, and yeah, that's that's how I met those guys, or, or Matt and Matt and Tom, anyways. And uh, we just formed in '88, uh, and then we played South Florida for what a little bit, a little over a year and a half or so, two years, and we got signed. And our first record, we got signed at '90. Uh, that's why the 30 years of drummer. It is 30 years uh, right now, mm-hmm. and uh, we got signed in I think it was, I want to say September or October of uh, 1990, and our first record came out in '91, I believe, February '91. So it was quick, two years? Very fast. Yeah, it was very fast. And, you know, it was, again, you talk about timing, you know, just like my ear infection. With this, it was like South Florida was wide open. There was nobody there. Yeah. Nobody, as far as the bands are concerned. And um, so we kind of just took a hold of the market. And we did everything kind of, we did everything completely different, I should say, than, than the bands there. We we had a friend of mine worked for a printer. So we we printed out 10,000 flyers per gig and we flyered everywhere to the point where people were like, who the hell is this? I got kicked. You know, like I got it. That's what it did. It was like, I see these, these flyers everywhere. Who is this? We got, and we were the ones flyering. So we put our hair up in a hat and we had no promo pictures. So nobody knew who we were or what we looked like. And we just kept it very like that, like anonymous until we got, you know, till we got really got the following. Right. And, um, we just pounded it there, and before long, it just started picking up momentum. Brian Warner, who is Marilyn Manson, yeah. uh, Brian was our did all our press for us. So he 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 wrote the articles. He did um, you know he painted uh, like Matt's combat boots. He was very much you know an artistic but a brilliant writer. Uh, Brian is, and so he he did all. So we got all these great articles and all these all these magazines because he was such a great writer that they always took his pieces. And he wrote about us wow. and it was like a combination of a lot of things, but basically we ended up at the South Florida music awards. It was like a rock awards. And we won everything except for best drummer, believe it or not. I mean, it just, yeah, it just, it's just crazy. You we didn't get every, best drummer. I did not get best drummer. I, I'll tell you how confident I was. I had a foot on the step to go up on stage. <laughs> Ready to go. <laughs> Ready to go. That's that's and uh, I think it was like the drummer from Vandal, this other band, who was a great drummer. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I was just like, it's Saigon Kick was a sweep. I didn't get the the award. I'm like, Jason had something to do with this. 
But anyways, <laughs> uh, so we, uh, yeah, it all, uh, look, all else fails, you blame it on Jason. Yeah. That's how we do But um, when, we, when we won all these awards, it gave us, now, again, this is timing, it gave us a little article in Rolling Stone. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Billboard. It was Billboard magazine. And just around that time, we opened up for Skid Row. Skid Row was out opening for Bon Jovi on the uh, New Jersey tour, right? And they were playing clubs on the off nights. So we went down to the club and we begged them because we were the biggest band in South Florida at that point. But the show was already sold out. So they didn't need anybody. We went to the, we went to the summers on the beach. We told the booking person, we're like, we want to open up for Skid Row. They're like, guys, we don't need you. The, the show is oversold. Like we, the, and we're like, we need to open up because we're thinking, because we don't know shit. We're thinking Bon Jovi's going to be there. You mm. know, Johnny's there. Then they, they, he's going to see us and love us. Yes, you know, that was our mentality. Right. So the guys like, no, we we really, I, I I'll give you any gig you want, but not this one. We don't have the room. You just can't do it. We all get in the car. We go to the ATM. We all pull out all the money we had collectively. We had about five hundred bucks. We went back to the club and we b- tried to bribe him with money. And he thought we were insane and gave us the gig without the bribe. He was like, "You're going to go to that level." then it's yours. We ended up doing the gig and the, and Rachel Boland's bass tech, Ronzo loved us. And he told Jason Flom at Atlantic records about Saigon kick in South Florida. And at that point, Jason had read this article in, 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 in uh, the billboard magazine about South Florida and Saigon kick. And it all just a light bulb went off and they came and, and signed us. It was That's crazy. Awesome. Like, it, and it all, it just lined up when people ask about how things, how things happen. It's just, it was a perfect storm. Like everything just lined up. Well, it, and it sounds like you, you made it happen. You wanted it to happen and to went out extent. there and, and tried to make it happen. Yeah. I mean, you can only do that. You know, again, it has to do the things that we did were the correct things. If right. you know, but, but still, even those could have went any if, if you know if Ronzo wasn't there that day. Yeah. Uh, you know if he wasn't there during our sound check because we played Sex Pistols during the sound check and he loved it. So he's like, "Who the fuck is this band? Like, who are these guys? It's crazy." And um, uh, yeah, so like it was again, it was just things just lined up perfectly, except for when we got a manager. That's when it went horribly wrong. So did you um, have the manager before you got signed, or did you get that as well, he, you got signed? He, um, yeah, he, he got wind of us through Jason Flom. Uh, he was uh, a guy from Tampa, uh, a guy named Warren Wyatt, who is just everything that isn't a manager. I think He's I remember that man. name. Yeah, and he, he screwed over so many bands. Um, he had a band called Crimson Glory. Oh, yeah, uh, you know those yeah. guys. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, it, the stories go on for days. I'm not going to waste my time. Yeah, but he sure. Just, you know, whatever, whatever the, uh, you can picture the biggest scumbag in the world you times that by a million and you haven't even come close to the surface of what how how skeevy this guy is and he came in and you know we we didn't know anything we don't we're kids right so you have then you have egos involved so jason started getting a little puffy in the head kramer got a little puffy in the head and all of a sudden it was like me and tom the, the rhythm section first the, the singer and a guitar player and that's how we kind of started it was a bad taste in the mouth. And and again, Jason tried to fire me at that point. Mm. Uh, you know, he's right like, oh, we're going to bring in another drummer, you know, like this whole thing. And it, it was just a weird, like we, we went from like, we were on top of the world 
with this record, you know, this offer of a record deal to like this managers come in here and split the band. You know, it's like, it was crazy. And it was such, it was such a bizarre time. And later on, as uh, when I, when I joined Skid Row and we were opening for Kiss back in 2000 and I'm walking around with Doc McGee and Doc stopped me and goes, why, uh, why did you block me from managing Saigon Kick? I go, me? He goes, well, the, you know, they blocked me. I wanted Saigon Kick. I said, you wanted Saigon Kick? He goes, yeah, I would, I totally, if Doc McGee would have got Saigon Kick, you know, we would have had, we, again, a different career because our manager was, you know, just a, a scumbag and he, you know, embezzled money and he did all that stuff to the point where when I was touring with Skid Row, we play a couple of clubs and, and, and the club owners would go, Hey, why were you in Saigon kick? I'm like, yeah, he goes, you guys still owe me money. I said, oh, shit. what? Jeez. Goes, you guys, book? he goes, you booked a show and we, I sent you the, I sent the, um, the manager in advance and then you never played the date. And so apparently he did this in a lot of st- cities. And then you wonder why, like, you know, these, and we had no idea, right. you know, or at least I didn't, right. you know, right. uh, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to send out accusations, but what I'm saying is, is that, you know, we, you're, you really are, if you ever seen shows where people are like, yeah, and then, the, you know, the manager stole $10 million from me, you know, well, you don't really see that stuff. You know, you're out working, you know, mm. we're, we're on the road. We expect our things to be like handled fairly and like, honestly, and that was the biggest lesson that I learned um, from from that from the whole thing was that uh, you know knowing who handles your money, who who is you know the sh- shady people that that kind of change things on you. You don't even know, and you're wrapped up in trying to be a rock star, and you know you're a kid that just got your dream, and you're on MTV, and then you you're not looking in your bank until it's too late, and then yeah. ten years later you're like, what just happened to me? Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and, and back then you had no way of really. I mean, there wasn't much way to research except word of mouth. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't like you can Google people, you know, yeah. or anything. And um, uh, that's another thing that people have to remember: like we didn't have the technology. And uh, you know, when you when you he came in as a friend of Jason Flom, and Flommy is a very well respected man, you know, in the business. He pretty much found everything you listen to, you know, at Atlantic. And um, so I guess you know. We just went with it. Yeah. Or at least Jason and Matt did. But but I, I knew it right off the bat. It was going to be bad because of right. the way they acted. Yeah. So it was, you know, but it, it, it it's over now. And the idea of it is that, you know, you tell a story. And again, this will be in the documentary. You're telling a story to the younger kids who want to get into the business and stuff. And you tell, my story is, is not the first one. Everybody sure. has the, the manager screwed me over story. This is nothing new. Um and and so it's a matter of just you know passing the information around and and really being uh, uh, cautious and, and and really investigating certain people. Now you can do it. It's yeah. easier now, obviously. Yeah. But uh, at that point, it was it was a little tougher. Right. How long? Right. How long? How long was this guy your manager? Um. Till so, I mean, I left the band. What, I want to say I left in '95, '96. Oh, okay. So he was what a few years, five years. Mm-hmm. awful awful manager absolutely i mean just i i can't even imagine the amount of money that was embezzled uh because you know none of us had money yeah i hate it to was, hear that that sucks yeah we never got money and uh when we we went over to indonesia we actually have a giant following there so we went to indonesia so i got kicked in indonesia we four, yeah indonesia we played four cities four arenas sold out arenas and i made eleven $1, hundred dollars 
And I think about it now, I'm like, what did I even agree? Like, I don't, it's such a blur, you know, because you're, you're, it, it was such a weird thing because you're supposed to be enjoying this dream that comes true, but really it's just a nightmare because mm-hmm. you're from that point forward, you're just struggling because you don't know the statistics. You don't know that so many bands per year put records out and X amount only make it, you know, cause you see the big bands and you're yeah. like, Oh yeah, everybody's, everybody's rich. And yeah, right. those guys are, you know, but, um, it was definitely a wake up as far as the music business. But at that point, then you're already kind of in it and you got a taste of the fame and you got a taste of that, you know, people taking your calls and, and being, you know, and it's like, it's hard to go back to, yeah. to that, to just regular life, if you will. Yeah. So it, was, it was definitely a struggle. What, um, who did you tour with on that first album? The first tour we did was before the record came out, we toured with Rat and Rat was on the downslide. They were doing, um, they did some clubs for, I, I don't, I don't know what record it was. Maybe detonator or something. I don't yeah. Know. I think it was it around was, that time. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, they were on the down, you know, and it was just, they were, they were, you could tell, you know, when, when we were so excited to tour, that, you know, we would look at them and they're like, we'd be like, why are they all like, you know, like pissed off and like <laughs> not into it. And then you tour and you like, after being in the band for a long time, you're like, oh, I get it. Now yeah. I understand why they were that way. But they were, you know, they went from arenas to doing clubs and barely putting anybody in the clubs. Yeah. And so that was the first tour before the record came out. When the record came out, we toured with Cheap Trick. That was the first nice. um, the tour we did. And, and then after that, it was uh, Ramon's... Um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, King's X, you name it. We toured with them. And it okay. was just like, they put us out on the road for a, a good year. I know that first year I flew 150,000 miles. I think it was, that was my, oh, no, cause we flew continental mm-hmm. and we went, you know, we went around the world we extreme. Uh, we did, um, you know, Europe with extreme. And then we did the States with extreme when our record, when we did Europe with extreme more than words went number one. When we did the States with Extreme, Love is on the Way was charting at that point. We went number eight. So it was actually kind of cool because we both we experienced their success and then they did with us. Right. So that was us. Uh, and we just stayed on the road. That, 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 was was on, that was the Lizard Tour, correct? That was the Lizard Tour, yeah. Yeah, I saw that show. Um, the first you guys record, we, yeah, the first record, we, we were in Europe with them. Okay. On the, okay. On, uh, on the actual uh, the, uh, self-titled record. So... Yeah, we, we, we toured with them a lot. But yeah, we were just out there. That's all we wanted to do, was tour. And Atlantic was more than happy to get us out there to sell some records. And, you know, once once we got a hit, it was a lot easier, you know. Um, but but that was the downfall of the band right after that. It was, it was kind of a shame because everybody was just like, the band was in shambles, the manager's embezzling money. You know, the, 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 the singer and the guitar player at, you know, at each other's throats, the egos were out of control. And I'm just sitting there looking at this mess. My, my wife is pregnant at the time, my daughter, Talia. And I'm just like, what did I get into here? Mm-hmm. You know? And, and at that point you got to like self-preservation. You just got to, I just ended up shutting up and just playing. Um, and you know, it, it was a catastrophe. It all, it, right after the lizard, uh, Matt left, Matt left. It was like those guys you know, like when you think about the decisions they made, because at that point it was like Jason and Matt just made all the decisions and they were all wrong. They were mm. wrong decisions. You know, that that's the way it was. And no matter how much I talked and I was blue in the face, they didn't listen to me. So they mm-hmm. all wanted to go to Sweden and they wanted to do this record. I'm like, you know, a, a good player could just go into the studio 
anywhere in the world, you know, like in your backyard and play. Right. That's what you do. You don't have to travel to exotic places that you can't afford. And we, we spent half the record budget just to get our gear over there. Why, I mean, why do bands decide to do that kind of thing? I don't know. It's egos, I guess. I, huh. I don't know. Especially with a hit record. You know, and, and the Lizard record is an awful sounding record. It's probably the worst sounding record we have. And Jason put his name all over it. You know, you want to put your name on everything. It, you're gonna, it, if that's your goal in life, you're going to ruin a lot of things. You know, if you just want to put, you know, if you don't care about the quality, you're just putting your name on it. You know, I want credit for this. I want credit for that. And then you listen to it and you're like, this sucks. You know, who produced all the way to to Sweden, all the way to Sweden to just get a crappy sounding record. Yeah. And, um, and it was terrible, but, and that's why they wanted to go back though. Cause we had the hit record there at the same studio. So they wanted to go back after the lizard. And I said, this band is falling apart. What we need to do is get back into the warehouse where we started and, and, and start getting grateful for, for shit, you know, like, but they didn't want to do it. They went to Sweden, Matt left the band. We, we were a three piece. We ended up writing the whole record in, in the studio with, you know, cause Matt left and, um, and that's the water record. That's that record. So and that's why Jason sang on that. Jason sang on that, right? Yeah. That's why Jason sang on it. Yeah. Now, whose idea yep. was that? Who chose that? Well, Jason always wanted to be the singer, and mm. that's that was their conflict with Matt with um, with those two. Matt, Matt was such was a good not, singer um, too. Yeah, yeah, I like Matt. Yeah. He had he had a great voice. A great voice, and yeah. and and he had his, his his voice was not only great, but it was just the the the, the, the his, his great character, his voice. You know, like he. He had one of those voices that, and he still does. I'm talking like he's dead. He's not. He's doing quite well. But he, but um, he had. He, he just has a, a very cool voice that that just stood out. And Jason had just always wanted to sing. So you know, as you know, they were doing dual harmonies, anyways. Yeah. And yeah, Jason, they did. They did uh, blend. They did blend well together with their voices. I I, I like that. Back, yeah. yeah, Jason was Jason's a great backup, but he, his voice doesn't. He, doesn't have the juice to be a, a lead singer. Mm-hmm. It's too nasally and weird and thin. Where right. Matt, but complimented Matt's like his was Matt was so deep and and big. So his Jason just set real nice in there, and yeah. they you know they they sang beautifully together. But um on on their on his own Jason, you know he he was you know the, the water record is is because we have a we have a version of Space Oddity that we did with Matt on it. And then the the one on the record is with Jason, of course. Right. The one with Matt is insane. It Has is that ever been released? Towards... No, mm. no. So, but that that version is incredible, and that's that's when I heard the difference, like really heard the difference, and I knew it was going to be a struggle at that point. And, and the Water Record is a cool record. It, if, if if none of that shit happened to make that record, like we just went in and made that record as, as a three piece and without the drama, it's a pretty decent record. It's okay. You know, like there's mm-hmm. some cool songs on it, but as a whole, you know, it's just one of those, it just, it, 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 it to me represents that awful time, you know, and, um, and right. it just sucked, you know? Now, let me ask you this. You guys were, when you came out, you guys were, I remember it, it was so heavy that you guys yeah. fit right in with, <clears throat> excuse me, with what was coming out with the house and chains no and sound gardens. So what, how did no it, I thought for sure you were going to slide right in with all those bands. Do you think if you guys were maybe from Seattle instead of Florida, it, it, you would have fit in no. there? No, I think if we had a good manager, if we had Doc McGee 
we would have sold as many records as everybody else because it, Alice in Chains, great, great band. Soundgarden is by far my favorite band mm-hmm. out of Seattle. I absolutely yeah. love that band so much. Uh, and Jane's Addiction was my band out of LA. Like I loved that stuff. And we were not only just as heavy, but dual vocals, like everything about it, <clears throat> we would have fit right in. It wasn't about the, the, the demographic. It was about um, a bad management. Mm-hmm. And that's all there was to it. Because if, if McGee was our manager, we would, we would have sold the records because we were at this, at this point, the, the problem is simple. Although Love is on the Way is a nice song, when you put it on a record with 14 other songs that are from Running Over a Dog to Body Bags to, you know, The Lizard, um, you have returns, you know, and because yeah. that's a ballad. That's, and instead of seeing the band for what we were, because, you know, at that point, uh, with bad management, the label wasn't really given a crap. You know, they were trying to push anything that would hit. And I didn't want to put Love Is On The Way on the record because I just felt it was going to hurt the record. And it did. Mm-hmm. Because it's a, it's a good song. I'm not talking about the song. Song quality-wise, if it was a standalone single, the way they do things today, where they put singles out, it's not a big deal. But on a record with all that heavy stuff, people were shocked when they came out to see us because they thought we were like a folk act. You know, they yeah. don't know. And um, uh, so that was the pretty much the, the downfall because I remember we shot we shot Hostile Youth and we were in Mexico for five days shooting Hostile Youth and then I went my daughter was was, was born a day after I got home and we I remember being I forgot where we were in Europe somewhere but before that and we were putting we wanted to do I'm sorry after that we wanted to do uh, release the video you know, and we were going to push Hostile Youth as a first song um, and do another heavy one and then kind of follow it up with Love is on the Way in the back. So people kind of got a, you know, like, and we would just throw them off if they loved Hostile Youth and they loved, you know, body bags and stuff. Love is on the Way would just, and instead, uh, WSHE in Miami started playing Love is on the Way and it lit up the phones. And then, and, and that's a, you know, that was a P1 and, and then bam, it was like, it went crazy, like overnight. And then MTV, yeah. they rushed us to um, LA. We did a quick video in LA for Love Is on the Way, and um, and and boom, it was number one on MTV. It, like it happened so fast. But I remember saying to Matt, going, "Ride this wave because it's going to last about three months. We're not even going to get fifteen minutes. We're going to get fourteen out of this." but make sure you get the most you can out of it because it's going to be over as quick as it started. And sure, that's what happened. You know, I mean, it was, and the label, unfortunately the label couldn't even produce singles quick enough because back then you had to buy the single. So you had a CD single, a 45 or a cassette single. That's how they put them. So they didn't have enough stock. They didn't press enough um, a product because it hit so fast that we lost the whole Christmas time. They didn't have any product in the store. It was sold out. So we ended up losing probably, we probably were sold another million units at that point because it was out of control. Yeah. And, um, and, and yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's basically what happened. But I remember Atlantic is like, hey, we got this new band called Stone Temple Pilots. We're putting them out with you guys. They're going to open up for you. And we're like, all right, that's fine. And then um, right before the tour started, they exploded. 
and it was like, yeah, yeah they're not opening for you anymore. They're like, <laughs> it was, it was that, because that, that whole Seattle thing just exploded. It was crazy. So, you know, we could have easily, easily got caught up in that and, and continued, but instead yeah. we had, we had a ballad. Yeah. That was it. I always thought so. You guys were a great band. I mean, yeah, not just the music, the playing and everything. Oh yeah. You guys should have been yeah, thank you. a lot I, bigger. No, than I, and that's, that's why it hurts. It, it's a little, it's, it's kind of, you know, cause it's like your first band, we, the first band we got a record deal and it's really, you know, um, a band that we experienced so much together as kids and, and, you know, in our twenties and stuff. And it, then it's just, it just went to shit. And yeah. it's, 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 it really is hard to swallow to this day. I'm sure. Um, you know, because it just meant so much to me, the band meant so much and we learned how to play together and we got, we got great, you know, and that, that, that's the thing. And then it was just like, what happened? And this is, uh, you know, that's part of the business, I guess. You know, we, unfortunately, like I said, everybody deals with this in some capacity. And, and we were the po- for everything that went right to get a deal. Everything went wrong soon after. Mm. And that's what it was. Yeah. 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 I remember seeing you guys, you know, when you're first coming up at the rocket club out in Tampa and then yeah. seeing you guys in arenas with extreme. And I remember your drumming style was, was, it was just awesome. I love the, the way you play. The groove master. With my, uh, I got to say, you're up there with my top drummers with Tommy Lee and Matt Cameron. Well, it's funny you mentioned those because those are two of my favorite, along with Steve Perkins. So, like, those those are my guys. I mean, Cameron and Perkins, I studied everything they did. And, and I, I think it was last year, I finally met Steven Perkins. And I, uh, my buddy Brian Tishy puts together this Bonzo Bash thing, and I was playing that, and he told me Perkins was, and I'm like, look, I'm a fanboy. Like, I'm going to scream and pass out if I meet this guy. I love this guy. You know, like the drumming. I was like, please tell me he's cool, because if I meet him, I don't want to meet him if he's like a dick or anything. Yeah. You know, like, you don't want You always worry about that. Yeah. Right. He was the nicest guy ever, and I went over to him, and I was totally fanboying because I really, I mean, I he, his drumming and Cameron's drumming meant so much to me, and Tommy, of course. Um, and I went over to him and I went, Stephen, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, I just want to thank you for this amazing drumming that you introduced me to, and just wanted to know that I stole everything from you. So just so you know, right now I'm going to admit it because I just took it, repackaged it, and put it on you know, on a record. And he laughed, and I was like, "That's I, I go. That's how much it influenced me. It was it was brilliant stuff. To this day, still holds up. Put yeah. on nothing shocking. Yeah. I mean, that record is sick, you know. Or uh, Soundgarden, their first record, mm-hmm. uh, insane stuff on there. And I, that that's that's what it was to me. So that's a uh, I, I take the compliment. That's funny. That's very, yeah. Uh, yeah, man. Very cool. Just solid drumming. I loved it. Um, Thank you very much. So you left Saigon Kick during Water, or was it after that album has no, already? No, after that. Okay. Yeah, we did. Um, we did one more record called Devil in the Details, and yeah. then it was okay, during the recording of Bastards is when I left, and I joined um, Rachel Bolin, and I had a band called Prunella Scales, and that was like a punk type band, and we that was around ninety seven, ninety six, ninety seven, and we toured uh, Japan, and then we. Um, uh, when I got when I got back to the states, we got back to the states. Uh, it was about '98. I ended up leaving music business the first time to try to save my marriage, and um, that that failed. And around 2000 is when Rachel called me. Goes, hey, you know, we're opening for Kiss. We need a drummer. You know, do you want to come out and play? And I was like, no, that would be awful to do that. Like, you know, only my, the band that I idolized. 
And that's how I, I got into skids. I guess their drummer, Charlie, great dude, but he had a, a prior on his record for attempted murder. So, oh, so Canada wouldn't let him in. <laughs> so, um, and I believe it or not, I've never been arrested. I've not, you know, I, even in all my craziness, I never, you know, <laughs> that's got good. arrested or, or, yeah. So my record's clean. So that's how I went there. I just went there and, um, I watched one show and then we got, went to Canada. We had one rehearsal and then I was opening for kiss. It was that fast. It's pretty funny. That's awesome. So, I mean, being in skid row, I mean, how, how was that for you? Well, it's just, it's, a, it's the level up. So it's, it's quite a few levels up. Yeah. And a very ironic, ironic thing. Because if you think about, you know, like I said earlier, with skid row opening for them is what started our career or my career. And, yeah. And, yeah. and, and so all of a sudden you're in this band and, um, and at this point I had known them for about 10 years. You know, I met them back in 1990 uh, when they were in South Florida doing Slave to the Grind. Mike Wagner was producing that. Mike did our first record. So, you know, I've, I've known them over the, and then of course the band with Rage. So it was pretty funny when he, when I got the call for Skids and I was like, hell yeah, I'll come out. And, um, you know, I already knew the songs from just listening to the stuff on the radio over mm -hmm. the years. And uh, just had to fine tune, you know, everything, and and we went out there, and uh, it was a blast. Yeah. I, I just remember being on stage, and and my mother had passed away in '98, so she didn't get a chance to see. She loved Skid Row. Skid Row was her favorite band. Like that, it was crazy. And I just remember on stage playing "I Remember You," and, and I got you know choked up because uh -huh. I'm like, damn, wish mom could see this. You know, like like it would, she because she was the shit. Like she was at every show. She was in the mosh pit. You know, my mother was crazy. And, um, and then as the fans got to know her, they gave her the space, you know, yeah. they, they, it was out of respect, but, but yeah, she would have loved that. But yeah, that was the first night I was just like, Whoa, what's going on here? Because it's such, you know, you're sitting in your house going, what the hell am I going to do now? I just got divorced. I'm, you know, down and out. And then the phone rings and it's, it's Poland. And he's like, Hey man. And then, you know, a few days later, you're opening up for your idols and, uh, you know, you're in a 20,000 seater. So it was pretty cool. Now you did the thick skin album. You played on that, right? Yeah. in, in 03. Yeah. I love that record. Uh, yeah. That's that a is great the album. one record that I, I really wish, um, you know, got a little bit of steam because it's a great, great record. I'm so proud of that record. And, and John Stollinger was singing on it. Who is just one of the most talented guys that I know. And, um, and that was a fun time. And I had a blast with Skid Row. It was a really good time. And, um, yeah, I, that, that's, that's one of those records that kind of go, that, that fell, you know, mm -hmm. on deaf ears, if you will. Um, Doc wanted to change the name of the band. I think that was the main thing. Really? He thought that, well, yeah, because if you put Skid Row on it, no one's going to pay attention to it. And he was right. He, but he wanted to change the name and kind of come out brand new. The problem with that is, is that without the, the Skid Row moniker, you don't get opening for anybody but at least with this with skid row they had three you know i called we called them the elders johnny and i they had three elders in the band and then you know i had a little bit of a career so it it kind of you know we they just kept the name and uh went forward unfortunately the record kind of you know suffered but it, it's such a great record one of, one of my favorites yeah by far that i played on how long Absolutely. how long were you with them five years okay and did you what happened with that? Did you quit or what, what happened? Yeah, I left. I went into rehab. That's right when, you know, with the, with the documentary. Okay. I mean, I okay. went to rehab and, um, 
and just tried to get healthy. And, and quite frankly, I was just, I felt like at that point, you know, I didn't want to tour anymore. I was getting older and I kind of wanted to explore things. And at that point is when I moved to Los Angeles and then started comedy. And I just wanted to explore some entertainment stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, and those years were just, uh, you know, trying things out and, and um, seeing what's available, acting, comedy, writing, all that stuff. And right. that's what I did in LA. Yeah. So, so comedy, I mean, have you always been a fan of comedy? Is that something you've always wanted to do? It. Yeah, my, I mean, back again, my parents were, they introduced me to music. My mother was Elvis, a huge Elvis fan. My father, Beatles. So I, that's how I, I was introduced to it. My father was hilarious. Was one of the funniest guys I'd ever known. And he always, uh, he introduced me to comedy. So back when I was, I don't know, 10 years old, we put on Richard Pryor records, um, uh, you know, and we would, I'd sit there and howl laughing, you know, like, and it was, <laughs> You know, it's racy stuff. You know, the Richard Pryor in the seventies was like out of control, and my dad just, you know, he just we sat there and laughed, and he introduced me to comedy, and I got, you know, I was obsessed with it, and um, always wanted to try it. And then a good friend of mine, Craig Gass, says, "Man, you got to get on stage and do some comedy." You know, and I said, "Yeah, but I'm funny to you because you know me." Well, how do you how do you translate that to people who don't know you? And I just wanted the challenge, so I, I did stand up for about. I don't know, about two years or so. Was, and, um, was that like... It was brutal. Th- th- yeah, that had to be nerve-wracking. <laughs> well, I could tell you this, um, and I tell everybody, the comedy is it's funny because when you start, whoever you start with is your, like your class, right? So the graduation would be like if somebody got famous, you know? And in my class, it was Chris D'Elia, uh, Whitney Cummings, Elijah Schlesinger, uh, Brent Ernst, like all the guys that are like huge comics now, you know, and it was really, it's really fun. Nick Swartz and all those guys. So we were at the improv every night doing, you know, stand up, and then we jump in the car and go across town and do 10 minutes over at the stove piper and then jump in the car and go do a bowling alley. That's all we did. And it was a, it was a blast. Like I loved that so much because it was a camaraderie between all of us. And, um, and, you know, and then to watch those guys go on to like, you know, pretty great things was, it was pretty proud to watch them, you know, do that. And I always said, I'll leave the comedy to the professionals. I was better at hosting and, and producing shows. So I ended up, you know, doing the sex band up and rock and roll show that I hosted. And it was wildly popular. Like, I mean, it was so out of control. And uh, I did that bi-weekly at the improv and it was a blast. And I was the, I was the ground that all the comics came to to try material out because my crowds were so good and packed and it was so kind of eclectic and weird it was like porn stars rock stars you know like it was just loaded with people regular folks and um the, the comics loved it so every week that i uh, every show i should say you know somebody would come in like david tell would come in hey i got a special coming up can i try some material go you know so it was always yeah. so, so we got the reputation and we introduced new comics the, the great part about doing stand-up is you get to see the comics before they're famous. In other words, we know, you know, who's going to go. So to introduce them to people and go here, this is a guy, he's a buddy of mine. And they, and they just crushed the room. So that was fun. I loved giving the, my crowds, like, you know, these, these great talented people. And I really enjoyed that. That, that was, uh, that was a really great time. How long uh, do you have your show out there? That was three years, I think. Well, that's a pretty good yeah. run. Oh, it was great. You know, and, and again, that was the only reason why I took it out of there was to go to, to Vegas, you know? Right. So it was, it was great. We had a good time. Wow. I, that seems like 
Yeah, I can't imagine trying. I to couldn't. Do yeah, no, I couldn't do. Yes, I'm not very funny though either. <laughs> yeah, it's a very interesting thing, but I I highly recommend it. I I say, I say this to everyone: just go up one time. That's all I say because a little humility never hurt anybody, and um, but but you it's nothing happens. You know, like I remember um, uh, who Dave Chappelle said. Um, Someone said, did you have a bomb before? And he says, yeah, once. He goes, then what happened? He goes, nothing. I just right. went up the next night and crushed it. it. That's what happens. So if you can prepare yourself for a little bit of heckling, you know, and they're going to, it's it's just what it is. And I wanted to experience it. And and the comics kind of respected the fact that I went from, because they were like, why are you doing stand-up? You have a career. You know, <laughs> right, like the, right. it was so funny. And I was like, well, I don't want to try it. And they're like, I got respect for that because this is a hard-ass and, and they and I went up and did all that shit and got booed and heckled and all that. And they respected the fact that I just said I stood my ground, you know, like I didn't do anything that like I, I wasn't treated any different. You know, it doesn't doesn't matter. It was just like I just went up there and got because they'll give any comic a few minutes like any celebrity. But if you're not funny, they'll boo them off. They'll boo Brad Man. Pitt off. They don't give a shit. It's brutal. You know, and you had to be but nervous as hell. I have the first show and you'll see it. In the documentary, I have my first show ever at the Ha Ha Club in North Hollywood. I did five minutes and 10 seconds, I think it is. And um, I swear, it's like walking the plank. I swear, oh. I'm still walking. That's how long the walk was to the stage. And I don't remember anything. And in the blip, it was over. Yeah. And I don't know what happened. And I'm scared to watch it. I haven't watched it <laughs> since. And, uh, but I'm going to watch it again. I just, because I have it. I just found it and stuff. So it's going to be... Uh, yeah, the documentary is going to be full full of cool stuff because I I just happen to have all this you know all this footage and can really document it that way, and, and it's a talking head, but you can see the footage as well, and it's going to be it's going to be very fun. Yeah, yeah. So so you went to comedy, and then into the adult industry. Is that the jump you made well, yeah, there? It was a funny thing that happened. It was like uh, it was around '08. You've and, done a lot of shit, Phil. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the thing. Here, it, it, it's kind of like the lizard record, if you will. You know, my life was like the songs. It's all over the place. But I really wanted to experience stuff. And I've always said, you know, I just don't want to be that guy that, God forbid, something happens and I'm on the deathbed. And you're like, damn, I just wish I would have done this, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, my, my thinking is very open. I don't judge people. I don't, you know, I don't get in people's business. I don't care what people do except for killing people. Sure. I'm saying, you know, but general stuff, it's like, if it's legal and stuff and you then go for it, I don't care. It has nothing to do with me. So that's the way I looked at it. And around, I think it was about Oh eight. I did. My agent calls me and goes, Hey, do you want to go do this rehab show? And I said, um, I go out like for drugs and alcohol. Yeah, I'll do, I'll do that because it was that celebrity rehab on VH1. They go, no, no, they're doing a sex one. I said, what do you mean a sex one? It was like, well, you know, like, like sex addiction. I said, I'm not a sex addict. They said, well, you, you, you know, you had sex with groupies, right? I go, yeah. And they go, all right, well, you know, you can play that angle. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not a sex. I don't want to go on and identify as a sex addict. Like that's weird because. Right. Yes, I had groupies, but everybody has groupies. You know, like it's not like something I. If you go into a, an SA meeting, a Sex Anonymous meeting, you hear stuff that is that, that makes the hair stand up on your neck. That's different than yeah. me getting a groupie. You know that that wanted to you know come backstage or whatever. But I ended up doing it against my better judgment. But 
I said, you know what? I'm just going to play. I know how these shows work, so I'm just going to play cool and not lose it and go crazy. But and and really, when I did the therapy, Drew was looking at me like, "What? There's nothing. Like <laughs> they got to find something." The producers just they were trying to find anything, so they they honed in on my mother dying, which was you know something that I hadn't talked about. Like I hadn't talked to my dad about like for ten years. I had kept this. So they ended up flying my dad there, and and it ended up being actually pretty decent therapy for me regarding that. And um and 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 I kind of was a standout, so I ended up doing Oprah and the Tyra Banks show and the Today Show. So I did the whole press tour because they only wanted one person, and I was the guy that can actually you know speak and, yeah. and you know form a sentence. So I ended up doing that, which helped. But what had happened was my my publicist in New York calls me and goes. Now that you did this, you want to do Playgirl. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, why not? <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, Pete, Pete Steele did it. You know, other rock stars did it. Right. And I would be the first nude rock star, centerfold. Nobody was a nude centerfold. They were they were centerfolds, but not nude. You got the centerfold? I got the centerfold. I was Mr. December from this point forward. <laughs> Mr. December um, it is. Yeah. But, um, so... I went to New York and um, we we shot it. And the great part was is that Playgirl hired a rock photographer, great guy, Todd. Todd he was amazing. Uh, this guy, incredible. So we ended up these really great places, these locations like CD nightclubs and uh, just just really cool around New York. Like it has a New York vibe. And um, yeah, I, I and then so I did that and then vivid called about doing um, a celebrity sex tape because right then they were just starting to come out you know yeah, Tommy's had come out already yeah they started getting popular so they put me on the phone with um, what's her name from uh, from Jersey Shore oh god I forgot her name already they put me on the phone with her to do because you know everything's fake so we were going to do this thing where we're on the beach because she was on jersey shore the first season and i guess she was popular i didn't even watch it the first season so i didn't know but um oh angelina angelina i think her name was whatever yeah. yeah i think it was that but um we get on the phone and we're talking about this and i'm like okay so this is what's going to happen you know we're, we're going to go on the beach we was two days on the beach we'll film a bunch of you know sex i go then um the tape will come out. You sue me. You know, we'll do a fake lawsuit to get all the hype going. And blah, blah, blah. blah. That, that was the whole plan. So um, at the last minute, she bailed out of that. And then I ended up pitching the, the groupie series to Vivid. And that's how it started. So I did my okay. celebrity sex tape. That's really, you know, how it really started. And then when I was talking to Vivid, you know, I happened to be in the lifestyle, a swinging lifestyle. If you, for lack right. of a better term, mm -hmm. swinger, that's what you know. Um, and I'd been for 20 years or so. And I was, I told, you know, uh, the owner of vivid about this and we, and he goes, you think you could film them? I go, well, they're regular folks. So, I mean, maybe the younger ones, but a lot of them like to keep that it's anonymity, you know, like that no one knows that they're swingers. And, um, uh, so I ended up contacting a bunch of my younger swinger friends and they were like, yeah, we'll do that. That sounds cool. So I started shooting hundred percent real swingers and that's, that's pretty much my adult career, you know, was doing yeah. those. And I won more awards doing those. And, and, and I directed them and I, you know, I shot them and I directed them and I I'd like do cameos in them. And the first ones I was in them because it was like a regular swinger party. But towards the end, I was just shooting. 
And I got more awards from those than I ever had in music or anything. And, and quite frankly, it put my daughter through college, the adult business. Nice. And now, you know, that's, that, that's, was a great time. Um, it's, it's, it's fine. It's come against me. Of course, it's come back to haunt me in some respects. Um, which sucks because I'm like, you know, it's the adult industry. Right. What's like, we're still hung up on that. Right. Like, honestly, you know, like look who's in office right now. We're, we're still hung up on the adult industry. Come on. Who gives a crap? And, um, people are sensitive. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's still, it's still, um, it still came back to haunt me, but nonetheless, I don't regret a thing of it because like I said, I mean, my daughter just got her masters, you know, oh, from good FSU. For her. And, yeah. She works uh, she's, uh, with John, Johns Hopkins. She works with Johns Hopkins. She's killing it. And the adult industry allowed me, allowed her to go. You know, like that to me is like, I don't, I would do that 20 times. Yeah, over. man. Mm-hmm. education yeah. for my kids um so i have no regrets whatsoever but that was that career and then i ended up um just getting out of that and just kind of went back to playing drums and i joined uh, up with jakey lee and that was around 2017 i think it was around then did did jake call you oh no 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 <laughs> no i uh a buddy of mine scott wilson who plays in saving able he called me and he goes, uh, he goes, hey, man, uh, let me see, do you, do, what do you think your influences are? And I tell him, you know, Tommy Lee and, you know, Steve Perkins. And I go, why? What are you getting at? He goes, well, do you think you could play like, um, you know, uh, like Bill Ward, you know, from Black Sabbath? Yeah. I said, well, I don't know. I, 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 I'm a Black Sabbath fan, but do I ever really play that stuff? No. I go, but I'm a drummer. So, yeah, I could probably play it. What, what do you mean? He goes, all right, let me call you back. So he does this like five times with different drummers. You know, he's like, hey, can you think he could play like Carmine Apathy and like, like in Cactus? I'm like, I've never even heard of Cactus. What the fuck? You know, I started getting pissed off. And I'm like, dude, just tell me what the deal is with the band. And he goes, well, did you have you heard of Red Dragon Cartel? I'm like, no, I have not. Who is it? And he goes, well, it's Jakey e. Lee. I said, oh, okay. And, and, and Anthony uh, Esposito. I go, all right, right, from Lynch Mob, sure. And... That was the thing. So they ended up sending, I got on the phone with Ant. We talked about, uh, they wanted me to play a couple of songs, you know, and, and um, they sent me two songs. I immediately bought myself a plane ticket because I was like, I'm not going to miss out on this because I really wanted the gig. And I go, can you send me like another five songs? And I ended up learning all these songs and sending them videos of me playing drum parts, like all this tribal stuff and cool shit. And they were, you know, Jake was very impressed with that. And then I flew there and it took me seven day audition, basically seven days. I played with them to before they said anything. Before you knew. And I'm pulling my hair out like day seven. I'm like, you know, like stressed out. I go up to the singer and I go, uh, Darren, who's like my partner in crime. I go, Darren, um, am I in this band? And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, Jake didn't tell you. I go, tell me what he goes, this guy. And he went over to Jake and that's when they broke it to me. But they were like, you know, just busting my balls the whole time. They yeah. sweated <laughs> out. Watching you. Uh, which was great. And that record is my best drumming I've ever done in my life. That, you, you, that is the, you, you did yeah. Patina, right? I did, yes. Yeah. Yes. And that record is, uh, working with Jake was probably well, the greatest uh, experience I, 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 I truly I, I've ever had. He opened my mind to music. He opened my mind to drumming. He's a he's a guitar player, but he's a drummer, like in his brain. Like he can't play drums okay. for shit, which is hysterical. 
but he comes up with drum stuff that's insane. And, you know, the, the, I, I actually made the mistake of learning stuff quick to impress him. And it only made it worse because he would try even harder stuff. So I, then I started like, oh, yeah, I can't get that one just yet. Let me work on it. You know, because I didn't want him to make him harder and harder because he right. did. It was great. But it also was like a great compliment that he like put his face in my playing. And, um, and sure as shit, man, we, he got that man. That, that record is my best drumming of mm-hmm. my career. I don't think I'll ever play a record that good, like uh, play on a record as good as that record. The Patina record is probably one of the best records. And I know it didn't sell a lot of records and stuff, but as a whole, probably by far the, the best record to come out in a long time. And I'm not just saying that because I'm in the band, but uh, or that I played on it. It's just one of those great rock and roll records. It's yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. yeah, everything I've heard off it, I thought was great. Yeah, very good. And it was fun, and uh, and Jake was, you know, and is one of the nicest guys, one of the most humble dudes, um, no bullshit. Really respect the man. Just a great, you know. It, you forget too because you know you're in a room with Anthony Esposito, who is you know taught by Jacob Pistorius. You know, like this this cat can play bass. This guy is inc- like Lynch Mob is the rock band, but as a bass player, Anthony is like one of the best in the world. Then you got Jakey e. Lee. Now, here's the thing about Jake. I saw Jake when I was a kid. You know, I went to see Ozzy, and a friend of mine told me that he was Jakey e. Lee's cousin, and we spent an hour trying to get backstage. By, and my friend lying to security, going, I'm Jakey e. Lee's cousin. I want to meet Jake. And they never let us back. The first thing I did is ask Jake if he had a cousin named so-and-so, and he goes, no, I have no idea. And I, I wrote him a letter, and I go, by the way, I'm, I got Jakey e. Lee next to me. Remember you made me go around the arena for an hour? I was like, fuck you. You know, like, I mean, you're not his cousin. Like, what the hell's wrong with you? Um, so when I got into rehearsal, we just played the Patina record. Like, we were working on that record. And then Jake busted out um, um, Bark at the Moon. And I went, holy crap, that sounds like it's supposed to sound. And then it shocked. Then I, it dawned on me that it's Jake. And I, right. I like froze. It was like those moments that were really cool. Because I'm like, holy crap. So I got the guy here. This is the guy. You know, like it, 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 and then it's just you have the flashbacks to the concerts and everything. It's, it's really, that's what I love about the music business. That, that's been, uh, and I talk about it again with the documentary. It's just that, you know, you meet these incredible players and these people that influence your life as a kid. Like, you know, you, and then you meet them as, as adults and they influence it more. Um, and it's, it's really, that's my favorite stuff about the music business it almost outweighs all the bad stuff you know but it's it's a, it's a balance definitely a balance right jake seems like he's a quiet guy is he quiet or is that just very quiet is he very quiet great sense of humor dry sense of humor i mean like a dust storm funny yeah. though really funny um and and he's no bullshit you know like he 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 is so respectful and 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 and, and nice to fans you know, because I mean, he just, it was really impressive. Like he, he, he's just a really good dude and he's old school. You know, I remember he was working on when we got to the tour, he has like, you know, 10, 15 pedals. He takes out these analog pedals, you know, hmm. I go, Jake, I made the mistake of going, Hey Jake, why don't you get like a digital rep? I thought he was going to kill me, you know? <laughs> and he goes, uh, he looked at me like, what are you crazy? You know, like I said, well, why wouldn't you use it? He goes, because. With the with these pedals, something could go wrong every night, and 
when it goes wrong, that means I have to fix it or on stage. And that's when I find things and create stuff like happy accident. So he challenged, he loved the challenge of the pedal, like going out and him trying to improv that sound or whatever without that pedal and trying to, and that's what he loved about it because he, he, he would touch on things. He, 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 it's a happy accident. Right. And that, and I was like, man, this is old school. And I, and I really respected that. And I do. And I, I ended up when I got home from the tour, I did a session here in Vegas and it had this great drum fill in it and all this other things. And because I played on patina with those drum fills, those, those, uh, Bill Ward esque type fills, I went into this session and I battled the engineer because I wanted this, this one fill and my sticks hit, you know, you can hear the sticks hit. And on the patina record, I, there's a fill and you can hear the sticks hit. And Jake was like, I love that. Cause that's just, that's real. You know, it's pure. And, um, so when I was telling the, um, the engineer who didn't know me, he didn't had no idea what I did, like who I played with or anything. I never, you know, I just was a drummer and he goes, yeah, let's not, let's do another take. His sticks hit. I go, so he goes, nobody puts sticks hitting. I go, have you ever heard a record from the sixties or seventies? Like, what are you right. talking about? And I go, I just did a record and have sticks on it. And he goes, oh, you did a record? I go, yeah, with Jakey Lee. And then he shut up. Right. Then it was like, okay, now I got the room. You know, so, and I said, I text Jake, I go, I just want to thank you for that stick thing because I, and I sent him the track and I go, here's what I wanted. And I, I fought for, and he was like, that was great. You know, he loved that kind of thing because it's just about, you know, what's happening then it's organic, you know, right, it's just right. old school, you know? And, uh, I loved it. I loved, I loved every second of it. Now were those sessions live? Did you record live? Yes, we did. We did. Um, that's another thing that Jake, why we, 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 got along so well because um just when we we're about to start recording jake came over to me and goes look i have one rule and that is that um you have to play through the whole track we are not pro tooling cutting drums up and i said you know what my rule is i'm gonna play through the track i'm not you're not gonna cut me up because that was one of my things because i was in sessions with like howard benson and those type of producers that just make you play and then they chop it all up in pro tools and then piece it together so there's mm. no feel there's no anything. So I wasn't going to do that. Like, that's the one thing that I said, I'm like, I play the whole, the whole song. I can punch in things, but if I don't, if I can't do a full take through and through, I shouldn't be playing drums. Yeah. That's how I look at it. And Jake felt the same way. So that's what we did. And, um, it was one night though, that I was having issues and, um, it's just because I was sick and, and, and I was, you know, the idea of it kind of struck me that, you know, like where I'm at and the pressure kind of got me, you know, for some reason. Um, and I was trying to get this song and I couldn't for the life, there was a gun to my head. I couldn't get this song. And I had a Philly freak out, which is, you know, when I, I just lost my shit, you know, through drums, put a you know, drumstick through the wall, that kind of stuff. And then I hear the footsteps coming from the control room and I'm like bracing myself for this yelling thing that's going to happen. Cause at this point, Jake had never, he never raised his voice, nothing, you know, like I didn't know what to expect. And, and it's, and I could hear the footsteps. It was like, you know, like a movie, like I'm waiting for my oh, sentence, you know, and it, boom, boom, the door opens, you know, he comes walking in and I look up at him like with these kind of like scared eyes. And he goes, you know, it's just, it's just music, man. You're overthinking. Just play. Don't worry about it. And he walked away that tone, that, delicate, whatever. Right. And then I got it on the next take, 
you know. So I mean, that's 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 what I loved about Jake, and, and he was just a he's just a, a great dude. And that's I, awesome. It, it was an yeah. honor to play with him. And, any fu- any future plans with Red Dragon Cartel? Well, no. I mean, I I came off that tour, and my commitment was for the record. Uh-huh. For that one record, and then um, um, then COVID hit. So there really, there was a tour planned. Um, I did. I just did that the Patina record, but um, and then it kind of all fizzled away. And I don't know what's going on. I don't know if they're going to do another record because I told Jake I would love to play on if they do another record. I know there's a, his new record deal. He has one more record. So if he does that, I would love to play on it. But um, as of now, as you know, it's like everybody's just kind of yeah. Everybody's on hold. Yeah. Right until we see what happens, but I would love to do another record or, you know, play with those guys. It was great. Right. What, um, I know you tried to do a Saigon kick reunion a few years back. Yeah. But that didn't, did it how did that go? <laughs> well, Jason, did Jason fire you again? <laughs> you don't have enough time for this, but let's just say this. Um, we did five shows initially. They, we, we, they sold out instantly. Um, we got the hype machine going. We did incredible business. And then we, the idea was, let's take this momentum now and book a tour. Let's just tour every year. And, you know, make an extra couple of hundred, like a hundred thousand a piece. Just, just touring. Just having fun. Fly in. Fly in a couple of nights a week, uh, on the weekend. Uh, a couple of nights a month. And, and just keep a career going. And sustain a career. And we're playing great. Everybody's, you know. And no, that didn't happen. So, uh, you know, certain people in the band just could just put the kibosh on it, you know? And when you're in yeah. that, you know, you, you're waiting on other folks and, you know, the, the it's out of your hands. And then the last thing you're going to do is, like, start, um, you know, putting weird versions of the band together. You know, it's not fun in it. Yeah, the whole then, idea then you got a cover band. went out and had fun. You know, you go out and have fun, and, and, and that's it. And, and you, you know, instead of... Uh, fighting every time we, you know, we just the pre-show rituals talking about our kids and stuff. We're not doing coke anymore. We're not drinking. We're just talk- we're having a good. Th- we're old men. You know, right. let's, let's have some fun. We we went through all that crap when we were younger because we didn't know any different. Now we know. So why would we fight again? Like it makes no sense. But you know, some things are just not meant to be, and unfortunately, that was that was it. And um, yeah, so that 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 went um, that went you know away quick now tom then, wasn't and, involved in that was he well tom we ended up using tom at one point because chris mcclernan he had some family uh, issues uh he had an ill mom and and so he stayed home and we brought tom out for a couple of shows uh, just you know and just to to give him you know the fans that loved it and stuff like that but it was um yeah it was just you know the the, the inner the inner workings of the band the they just go too deep. You know, mm-hmm. Matt and Jason were, were at odds with each other and, um, it just was not going to work. You know, it, it's a shame because yeah. it would, it would have been a, yeah, it's a shame. Yeah. And that was it. So you think that's the end? Not going to try it again. For Saigon kick. Yeah. I personally, like I would do a streaming concert. I think that right. would be fun. And, and, um, and you know, there's, there's a, that's what I would do. I haven't talked to anybody about it, but that I think that would be fun because you know, unfortunately, when the shooting happened in Parkland, because that's where we, you know, Parkland was was uh, the next door neighbor to Coral Springs where we grew up. 
So we went down there and we did the concert to you know raise money. Uh, the, and 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 we did a concert and and the whole band came. Like that was the thing about it. Like I hadn't seen that. Like all the fighting and all that stuff. Well, because clearly children getting killed is way bigger than old men problems that yeah. we had. You know, you you put that shit aside and you do the right thing. And we did. And that was the best, one of the best times I ever had on stage with Saigon Kick because we had a bunch of musicians. I had a buddy of mine playing percussion. We had um, uh, Steve Gibb was playing guitar as well, plus a couple of like just incredible, you know, uh, 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 players like that graduated, you know, you know, music type, you know, uh, um, scholarship stuff, just shredding. And we did different versions of all these songs. Um, and I had a blast and I told them at that point, I go, you know, there's something here to do this unplugged thing and kind of have fun and just tell some stories and play the songs and take some requests and just do it loose. Mm -hmm. Like we're old guys. We don't have to take it so seriously. Like we're, we're funny guys. Like we lost ourselves in, 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 in that business. And now it was a chance to kind of you know, salvage it and have fun. Cause we didn't need managers. We don't need all that crap. We just do it ourselves. Like we, but you know, nothing really came of it. Um, we did kind of, it did heal some wounds though. You know, I mean, obviously with something as tragic as that, it makes you think, um, uh, we all have children. We all think about that, you know, and, and you kind of appreciate, you know, friendships and stuff like that. So, I mean, it kind of worked in that, in that way, but we haven't done anything since. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. Live stream thing would be i think that's a great idea especially with all the original yeah. guys that that would be well i and, and actually and some because over the years we had different lineups so the idea would be like we would play but we'd have different guys the guys that kind of like like uh, a couple of guys replaced me like ricky sanders a good buddy of mine and jonathan mover uh, who's a, you know, Jonathan Mover is like one of the greatest drummers out there today. And he loved that band and you know, him and I have been friends 30 years and he played, uh, when I, when I left. So I thought okay. it would be fun to have every, every version of the band, whoever played to come up at some point and we introduce everybody that way, you know, and it'd be fun. It'd be something different. Yeah. And, um, and, and it, and it shows the fans that, 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 you know, the, although we did all these different variations of guys come and go there was always this, the core members but like different guitar player a you know, different drummer a different uh, uh, uh keyboard player we had all these people come in i thought it would be fun just to kind of have you know an evening with saigon kick streaming and just have special guests and and have some fun jeff scott soda of course sang on our first record uh stuff like that you know that yeah. that would be to me would be a blast because i had so much fun you know um Play. unfortunately it was because of the shooting but i mean it was a it was a great night for the raised money and the band you know played well and it was a good thing it was a positive thing after such a tragic event and it, it just kind of stuck with me that way that it would be that would be a cool thing to do and um yeah so we'll see you know, i don't know yeah make that call get it to happen yeah, yeah. get it going you never know <laughs> yeah, i'll watch you for that know. all right well Listen, Phil, I appreciate you taking the time, man. It was really a pleasure chatting with you. Um, oh, my pleasure. Yeah. My and, pleasure. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. I know uh, when when your um, documentary is going to be released, let's uh, let's get it set up again, and we'll chat some more about that and promote well, that. Please do. I'll send you over a copy, let you guys watch it, and then we can uh, talk about it. That'd yeah, be great. that'd be awesome. So cool. Like, we're looking at, like, spring next year. Okay. But I'll, I'll let you know uh, for sure. 
and um, you'll start seeing stuff in January putting out there. But um, for anybody listening, uh, 30yearsadrummer.com is up and running as far as the site is concerned. That has all the trailers on it, and it has the, um, the posters if you want to take a look at it. And a synopsis, some of the music from uh, Leeway is up there, my first band. And then silverone.com as well. So th- those are the places you- they can go and uh, check out stuff and see updates and all that. Awesome. Okay. Cool. All right, Phil. Well, listen, take care. Stay safe out there. Hopefully we get past this COVID stuff soon. Um, yeah. Who sure. knows? Who knows what's going to well. happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> we don't. We definitely don't. But uh, we're going full steam ahead regardless. So yeah, man. Uh, thanks again. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. All right, yeah. man. Have a good night. Thanks, Phil. Right. Take care. Bye. Take care. That's all for this week. Join us next week for another episode of the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show podcast. Available on all your favorite podcast listening platforms.